And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Plus minus. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot! Tim Kawakami deserves all the credit. Plus minus. That is a word right there. <laughs> What'd you say? Plus minus. Yeah, like, like you, Marcus Thompson. Marcus always tell the truth. Plus minus. The only thing that I would say to Ethan Strauss is that he's a pretty damn good reporter. Um, he's well plus respected. Minus. I think he got the highest plus minus in the season in NBA history. Hello and welcome to a season-closing edition of the Warriors Plus Minus podcast. Uh, Marcus Thompson uh, is sounds like he was disgruntled, unhappy, he's unrestricted free agent. I don't know what's going on. That was a tough exit interview we had with Marcus. It was tough. Had he stormed off. To be <laughs> yeah, before the podcast. Now Marcus is not here, but Ethan Strauss and Tim Kawakami are, and we. All, including Marcus, were just on the postseason exit interview Zooms with Bob Myers and Steve Kerr. Really 30 minutes, 35 minutes each. Some really kind of in-depth answers, I thought. I mean, there was news to come from it, but there was all just a lot of interesting quotes, I thought. You guys can take it wherever you want. What what interests you? I thought it was more specific than they, than they were going to be, you know? And what can they say? They're not going to say, this person's on the trade market. and eh, we don't want to dump that guy. Oh, that didn't work. They're going to be more careful than that. But there were some specific things said that, you know, if you are following them carefully, or even if you're not following them that carefully, that were like real clues about what this offseason is going to look like. You know, Myers just, well, no one said, hey, do you need to add veterans? Myers just said, we need to add some veterans. We know that Steve Kerr feels that way. There's some other things in there, you know, clues about what they think about where they are, which they, you know, if Clay comes back at full Clay, they feel very good about themselves. Just more specifics than I thought there were going to be. I thought Myers in particular was, you know, more forthcoming on details than we normally see him. Yeah, I think specific questions get specific answers. It's something that Slater excels at. It can't be taught, folks. No, it actually can <laughs> be taught. I think we should aspire to do it. I asked a semi-specific question on whether Wiseman was untradeable. And I that think was pretty that specific. I enjoyed it. I think some fans would say, well, what do you expect Myers to say in response to that question? And the answer is that we don't really know until we ask. And we learn something, I believe, in how it's answered. Because maybe he's had some conversations with Joe. And the answer is untradeable. We are not doing it. Everybody stop calling us. That's one read on the situation. Let's say he doesn't really defend the idea of Wiseman on the team for a long time at all. You know, what if he says, hey, we want everybody to show up to work and all options are on the table and he's a tough kid. You, you, you don't know. I mean, he went with kind of a middle path of saying that he expects him to be on the team next season. I think that is that is the proper answer. I think it's a good answer by Myers, but it was not necessarily a leaping to Wiseman's defense, 
nor was it uh, completely cutting ties with Wiseman, get him the hell out of there. So that was one takeaway I had. The other takeaway I had was that I did not get on the second call despite raising my hand in Zoom. And that makes me wonder if they didn't like that question. Not saying, oh, not, you're not, alleging, you're not alleging any wow. conspiracies wow. towards wow. old Raymond Ritter and crew. I love you. Uh, I'm just saying it was interesting. It was interesting. I what got were you planning by. on asking Steve? Steve? Do you think your job is safe right now? <laughs> I don't want to ask you what you think your mistakes was. I'm going to tell you what your mistakes were this season. Steve, Steve is that seat you're sitting on right now lukewarm or boiling? Just let the people know. Oh, this, uh. this is this is going to be aggregated now. This is the Ethan Strauss being shut out of the Steve Kerr. I was Zoom bumped call. a series of people, uh, including a man with a delightful Irish accent. I don't begrudge. <laughs> Don't begrudge them. They were all asking good questions, uh, probably better questions than I would have asked. But no, I just I just noticed that the hand that the hand worked in the first interview session with Bob. It did not work in the second interview session with Steve. No allegations. Kerr's done with you. He's tired of your act. He's oh, like, it's that's a Steve it. call. Yeah, this, Steve this guy. Call. This guy. Forget it. Who knows the vagaries? I did not see that hand up, but the vagaries of the Zoom call nation. I, it, actually, which Myers addressed and 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 Kerr did too. Like. You know, it is a different world. It is disembodied. It is distant. I'm not saying that that's played into the, the Ethan shutout, but, uh, you know, it is it's a, you know, somebody pressing a button and deciding who gets to talk, as opposed to during the season, which was anybody talking whenever. It was raise your hand in the postseason or the playing season or whatever you want to call this. Uh, it is a little different, and I think we did see that they, they missed that little human interaction stuff. We'll see how much it, it, it picks up in the offseason into the season. Let me ask the question that I was not permitted to ask, and we can we can judge whether you have to raise your hand Warriors... and see if Michael okay, Ravina okay. lets you in. Hey, on the... hey, hey, Tim! Great to talk to you. I too missed seeing you in person. Um, so it seems like the Warriors really unlocked something with Draymond at center, and it seems like he's a great small ball center, and he likes to have the ball in his hands, and so does Wiseman, who's also obviously a center. How do you make that fit going forward? What needs to happen? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> I think Kerr basically said, you know, they he really believes they found something in the 15-5 and five run to the end of the season. That was with Kevon Looney at center, Draymond Green essentially as the backup center, if you want to call JTA kind of the other center. All small ball, basically, guys. Looney kind of masquerades as a real center. He's essentially a power forward play center. And they liked it. And there was good reason for them. Like, they won, and Steph went crazy, averaged 37 a game. I think they're going to go into this with, with the idea of Looney as their main center. Maybe not start, you know, we'll see who else they bring in. You know, it could be a Zaza Pachulia-like player who plays, you know, 12 minutes a game, something like that. But Looney will be their essential center, and Wiseman is on the on the fringes. And, you know, he either wins or loses minutes based on what he does on the floor and not isn't given anything, isn't projected as anything. Maybe I've said second unit center. Maybe not even. I mean, Kerr mentioned three guys that he likes on a second unit and didn't mention James Wiseman. Uh, maybe that was because they don't know what to get out of Wiseman. But I think he's, as Slater has mentioned on other podcasts, like they're going to push this back a little bit. There's not going to be any rush to get Wiseman in there. It's Kevon Looney. It's Draymond. And we know Steve doesn't like going long minutes with Draymond Center, but it's that action, it's that sensibility is going to be their core group. I think whenever Steph's on the floor, that's what the way they're going to want to play. And at this moment, that kind of precludes Wiseman getting many minutes with, with Steph. Yeah, they can just see 
where he is. I think one of the more encouraging parts of the call is signal of optimism about James Wiseman's readiness for training camp, which is very needed. Bob Myers even said that exactly. Like it's very important that he gets a training camp. And he said he had a conversation with Zaza about, you know, being, you know, a warrior center. Like you really kind of need that installment time, which he never got. He got COVID. He missed all training camp. He missed the preseason games. We know how turbulent the season was. But I think that, you know, with this idea of trading Wiseman, I think one thing we can take away from that is they won't just do it to do it. They won't do it to get a seventh man that will help their second unit next season, which would theoretically, you know, nudge them a little bit closer to winning a title. I think Wiseman and Tim, I know I said this on the one the other day, but I think James Wiseman is only on the table for a star, essentially, you know, and, you know, we can talk varying levels of star, you know, Pascal Siakam, some of the other guys we've discussed a lot this season that you have discussions about those guys. And Wiseman is certainly part of the discussion, but I don't think you go in and I don't seem to sense that they plan at all to go into the summer going, we need to use this chip we have and get any type of help. And the guy, the name I keep saying is like Marcus Smart, as an example, like you don't need to just give me Marcus Smart's expiring deal for one year to help us become better. And here's James Wiseman, and all of the future that lies ahead of him. And you wrote about DeAndre Ayton's rise, and maybe that's something that can creep into the back or the front of their minds, is that Ayton, who has some similarities to Wiseman and did in terms of rawness and defensive mistakes, looks incredible in Game 1 against the Lakers and is a reminder that maybe some of these young bigs, you invest in them, you wait maybe a couple seasons, and finally they blossom. And if you're going to trade them before that, you're going to trade at the ebb of value. So maybe that's something that is uh, perhaps also on their mind. What did you guys think about? Did you see this? Very interesting. Steph Curry goes on IG Live. I think he's talking to J. Cole as he's preparing. Like leaving to... the arena, I think. He was like yeah. Leaving the arena after the, the Grizzlies loss. And he was wearing a James Wiseman jersey is what you're saying, right? Yes, yes. And I, I, we're going to do the full breakdown. You can act like we're being maniacs, breaking it down like the Zapruder film. But I hear that, and then I go to it, and I'm thinking, oh, he probably tossed on a jersey um, that matches the outfit or whatever. And then I look, and it's like he's really stuffed the jersey awkwardly over his hoodie. Like, it looks like he literally grabbed it from the locker room and crammed it over his hoodie, which is... Very strange considering that the offseason's begun and so many of the questions revolve around whether or not they're going to trade this guy. And he's wearing the Wiseman jersey. And I, 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 there is one interpretation of this where it's totally random and it means nothing and he did, had no thought to it. But any other explanation is interesting. And that's all I'm saying. And there's always thought to some of this, right? There's always thought. The idea that they would discard James Wiseman, I think is what we're saying, that they're not doing that. Like, we don't think it worked. Get rid of him. That's not the world they're in. They had the number two pick. Kerr brought it up. They had the number two pick, and it just puts you in a different spot. Like, you could get a franchise changer, but to get one, you might have to wait three years, and you've already invested one of those years. Why give up on it now? You just were in that spot. And I know fans are going to scream about LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball. Wiseman was the logically correct pick. It didn't fit, but you don't burn a year of what didn't work knowing how talented he is. And I go back to they put they put him starting lineup in game one. Why? Because he looked great in some of those pre-training camp workouts before the COVID and all that. 
You don't just throw that away. Again, if you can get, say, you know, Bradley, Bill, whatever. And, and, and again, we're naming these guys that I don't even think they can get because the salaries don't work. But that level of player, then yes, you're always going to be interested in that. Whoever you have to give up other than number 30. But I don't see that happening. And I don't see they're not going to deal on the low side. They're just they're not that kind of franchise. They're not the Sacramento Kings. You, you don't do those sort of things if you're trying to you know accrue as much value. You, you can make mistakes and they've made mistakes on what they think the value is. But you don't do it in you don't do it when you're at the disadvantage. You do it when you try to get the other team at a disadvantage. I think a year in, we can all say they should have drafted LaMelo Ball. Now, maybe that reality changes, but LaMelo Ball would fit small ball with them, and they could go Draymond at center, and he would have helped more now, and he clearly has an awesome future ahead of him. So that probably would have been the correct pick. But that pick has been made. You don't compound the mistake by going, oh, you know, this should have happened. So, like, here's James Wiseman for, for an eighth man to help next season's team devil's advocate because I, I i mean i agree they shouldn't just trade him for some journeyman and they shouldn't just trade him to trade him right there needs to be an actual haul a step of some forward sort of value. a step forward yeah you need to take yeah. a step forward with that trade yeah I, but but the devil's advocate i think on this one would be this and i didn't really think about it i think hard enough on draft night i had zero issue with them taking wiseman even if i didn't love the few games I saw in college, it made sense to me. And it was this thing they had always lacked. They didn't have this super athletic scoring center. So it seemed like if they got it, then it would be what would vault them into a new tier. But I think maybe what we've learned is that they never had that guy for a reason, perhaps. That it doesn't totally fit. That what fits the Warriors is to have a role-playing big man who gives you six fouls, knows when to pass, knows the system, gives it up willingly. That's been what has worked for them, whether it's Bogut, whether it's Zaza, whether it's Looney. And this player, even though he's high upside, it just might not fit the Steph Curry era. I think there's a real possibility of that, even if I agree with every premise about how discarding him like he stinks is not the the correct mentality and he still has talent he still could bloom into an all-star yeah i mean i think there's a chance that he does not fit with steph curry i mean we saw it on on the floor but i'm not willing to say that that means i don't want his value anymore after you know three call we know the number three college games no summer league all the things that we know that kind of built up on him it didn't work it didn't work on the floor i'm already you know i've said for a while now that, that kelly Oubre is not a part of this, and I think that's pretty clear from what they didn't say or some of the things they did say about Oubre today. But he's a free agent. That's a different thing. You know, Wiseman's not a free agent. You keep him. You have him under contract. I think there's a shot that he's okay next season. I think there's a shot at it. And, and if he's okay next season, DeAndre Ayton, and as Ethan said, maybe they're thinking about it. I know they're thinking about it because somebody brought it up to me like two months ago. Yeah, no, like, we've heard the yeah, Ayton yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's no him, question so. the DeAndre Ayton thing. It happened right after they played him. They're like, whoa, that's interesting how good he is now. And who else has who else a similar kind of profile to that? Maybe somebody on our team. Going into that Suns-Lakers game on yesterday, knowing I was going to want to write about Ayton just because it's an important moment in his career, I was just like tracking him the whole game, and he was – he was doing a lot of stuff that I was like, this could kind of be, you know, year three James Wiseman where you're like, ah, you're still floating in and out like uh, of you know, attention, a little soft sometimes on the rebounds, like Andre Drummond got under him and out leveraged him and, and did some stuff where you're like, man, you're still making kind of odd mistakes, DeAndre. But then it's like, 
you know, he's beating KCP down the court in transition and getting a layup. He's, uh, you know, running the pick and roll in a smooth way. And like, he's kind of nice touch around the rim, which is all stuff we saw with Wiseman, right? When they ran pick and roll and stuff this season. And then I dug into it more. And obviously I'm looking at the numbers, you know, DeAndre Ayton as a rookie was on a team that a rookie center, you know, he now he played like 30 something minutes a night, which is what I think they missed with for Wiseman this season. But DeAndre Ayton was a center of a 29th ranked defense and they were 19 and 63 as a rookie then the next season they're 34 and 39 and he's on the 17th ranked defense and then this season obviously they're sixth ranked defense and they're the number two seed in the west a lot of that of course is booker's rise it's chris paul's arrival but deandre ayton in three seasons has become a good defender deandre ayton as a rookie was a bad defender that's should be noted for sure I don't know what you're getting for James Wiseman now, by the way. What are you, what are you getting for him? From what I've heard it, with Aiton, the growth in defense was mostly uh, Chris DeMarco with the Bahamian national team in the off-seasons. <laughs> Has that's what it him. was. That's what it was. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I wonder who... Yeah, anyway, um, hey, I, I, yeah, again, I think we're all on the same wavelength here. I think the Warriors are on the same one, too. It's that middle ground. Like, hey nobody's going to oversell him. I, I was getting a text from somebody during the call saying, well, they say how great he is and then still trade him. I go, that's, you know, they're kind of talking to Stefan Draymond too. I think they're, they don't, they don't want to oversell Wiseman publicly because I don't think Stefan Draymond want him to be oversold. If there's somebody great that, that that's available, they want people to know that he might be available. If he's not traded, they want people to know that that's okay too. Like it's okay to be in the middle ground here. And, I think Wiseman's season makes you know makes you think you're in the middle ground because you're not quite sure. You saw a lot, and then you saw a lot that was bad, and a lot the lot that was bad was bad specifically tied to bringing Steph's numbers down. Which again, on this team, if you cannot play well with Steph, you don't have a major role. But it's 20 years old. It's like there's there's just some issues here that I think aren't decided. And do you want to trade somebody who could be a star? who might not be a star, and it's undecided. I don't think you. that's what you want to do. As that, Those were Meyer's words. We don't want to trade James Wiseman. Yet if somebody has something great they want to give them, you know, they'll have to listen. They absolutely will listen. And, and maybe it'll add one of those picks because I think that that's maybe the practical thing here. You know, Jonathan Kamingo is probably an advanced 19-year-old, so I, I kind of take him out of that. But do they want a 19-year-old unfinished you know, Barely played in college, you know. One of those that Duke got, you know. The, I forget Jalen Johnson and whatever his name. Do they, you know? Do they want something like that, or do they want Scotty Barnes, who's also young, but he's played meaningful minutes. He's held, you know. He's dribbled the ball up against some of the and best. You know who I like. You know who I like. Who do you like? Davion Mitchell. I mean, Davion, that's right. That's right. Perfect. Again, a very. You know, we talk about. I think Kerr said playmaking guard. That's a playmaking guard. 22, 23-year-old yeah, can, can defend it. You can I think he won Big right... 12 def- Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, I mean, he could be a guy you just drop right into the middle of your, your rotation and you're not too worried about with some, you know, with, with some room to grow. I threw out Franz Wagner as a, as a pick on the you know the back end of the lottery of defensive-minded shooting, a 3 and D forward. That wouldn't be terrible. Like, you can see that they probably wouldn't want to go to some guy who played five games in college and had some recruiting issue, you know, like we know what the model is and you don't know what to expect because he's so athletic. You have to take him. I can't quite think of many of those players, but I think they would 
strictly avoid those players. They got their one of them. They don't they don't want any more of them. That's the way I've put it. I think they want James Wiseman to be the biggest project on the roster next season. Like he is the bigger biggest unknown. That means obviously Alan Smiley Geach. Ethan, do you want to sing a swan song for Mr. <laughs> Mr. Alan? No Smiley Geach uh, question. Yeah. They thought you were gonna ask her about Smiley Geach. That's why you didn't get on. <laughs> I, I was just having a conversation with Marcus where we might have jokingly referred to Smiley Geach as a mini Wiseman and uh, then <laughs> thought, wait, is that a good call or is that crazy? I mean, you don't want to be a mini Wiseman. You know, it's good to be big, but it, it, there are some similarities in terms of where do I go? What do I do? I'd really like to dunk right now and I'd really like to drive at the hoop. I'll tell you something that was also interesting to me about the call. And I want to know if you guys got the same takeaway. I feel like they think they're closer to contention than most people think. That was my takeaway. They might be shining us on, but you might even call it organizational arrogance. That's what I felt in listening to them. I think they think they got Steph and Draymond back, you know, in the right situation at the end of the season. And they like that flow and you drop clay into it. And I'm, Hey, I'm somebody who wrote that you drop clay into this and you make a couple smart moves. They are a championship contender. And I do think that obviously you need more depth. You need to hit on some things. You need to bring in another veteran who can be strong on the ball who can, you know, be a grown-up. And that's the word I wrote that. You know, somebody, Andre Iguodala, I hate to keep saying that. I'll tell you the name. They tried hard after him this summer. Uh, Nick Batum. I mean, they, they love how he plays, and they tried Versatile, to get him. Versatile, hit threes, did. you know, again. Uh, somebody who, when Steph's in the double team and passes out to Draymond, and Draymond kicks it over to somebody who isn't going to go, what do I do now, you know, and... I don't know that they had a lot of that. They had more guys like, I just don't want to shoot it. I just don't want to shoot it. And then the defense knew that, and they figured, okay, the ball's going back to Steph or Draymond. We know that. So they just feel comfortable that that 15-5 and five was who they are. It's Steph Curry still able to score 30 a game. Now we'll see what it is next season. And he could still be good next season and just has more offensive help. And that could go down 26. Doesn't mean he's a lesser player. It just means he has to, he has to, you know, he is by the nature of the team is going to pull back a little like he did when they had Durant. And you smartly add behind them and you have Clay Thompson finding, you know, his way back to close to hundred percent Clay Thompson by the end of the regular season and going into the playoffs. Is that a team that's going to scare some people? Oh, you know, we're scared some people this season at the end. You know, the Nuggets twice, the Jazz, the Suns, we saw it. doesn't mean that they're better than those teams, but it means that they those teams would not want to face the Warriors going like that with Klay Thompson in the corner ready to fire it up instead of Michael Mulder, uh, instead of Kent Bazemore, instead of, you know, the, the things that we saw. They got to be smart. They do have these, theoretically, these two draft picks, at least one of them. They've got Clay coming back, and they got what whatever they can do with Wiseman. They might even have Justinian Jessup to add to this mix. But I like it. I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but what we would say that the Lakers are the most formidable team out there, and then the and the Jazz. And like, I don't, I don't love those teams right now. I don't, you know, I don't. Everybody looks bad right now in the playoffs. That's key in this conversation, and we're going to learn a lot more in the next couple months because we always do in the playoffs. Remember last year it was like, whoa, you know, like this Davis-LeBron-Lakers thing is working, and whoa, the Nuggets are suddenly this contender because Jamal Murray exploded in Jokic. Now you look at this current moment we're talking, the Lakers look like they're kind of, you know, Creaky, a bit. creaky. Uh, they, you know, and that's because LeBron, you know, it's probably he's never maybe looked close enough to like seeing kind of maybe the closing days of that late prime. 
Lakers favored by two against the Suns. Look, I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in that game. I don't even care what condition Chris Paul is in. I realize I might say this Lakers might win by 20. That's a bonkers line. That's crazy. That's crazy. But don't they go with to the public? I mean, it's a public money. It's a public money bet. Yeah, that's a public money bet. It's it's public money. The Lakers lost game one in round one and round two in the bubble, I must say. And Davis will be a lot better. I could definitely see the Lakers winning. That's the Suns-Lakers neutral court. Lakers five points better. I'm not seeing that Laker team. Um, I'm just not seeing it uh, given Suns the injuries. Look good. I'll tell you that. Suns given, look good. Yeah, given, just given the injuries, I just think that's a, that is a very surprising line, even if you expect a better a better fight but yeah the overall point is that a lot of teams other than i think nate duncan was telling us the nets i mean everybody looks creaky everybody looks mortal everybody looks shaky i don't necessarily buy this idea that oh memphis is a better team than the warriors i mean i think that they deserve to win and they deserve to get in there because they did it when it was on the line but i don't i don't think there's that much separation now here's the elephant in the room though i'm reading a lot into maybe my article that i want to write one of the tricky things to handle is Wiseman. The other tricky thing to handle is Draymond. Because in these two playoff-level games that the Warriors just had, they were really struggling to score. And it seems like in a playoff setting, that Draymond 4-on-3, the way teams guard it, to try to give up that floater to him, that is an issue. That might have happened at the end of this end of their final game, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't make one shot in LA and he hadn't made a shot till like near halftime against Memphis. It was like six playing quarters and it was like how many turnovers do you have too? Like thirteen in two games. And what's so it's tricky, it's it's not that he stinks, it's that he's maybe the best defensive player in basketball when the game is on the line. And he delivered a maestro defensive performance against the Lakers. And so he almost seems to be a floor raising potentially ceiling limiting player if he can't evolve those aspects of his game and also as an awkward fit alongside Wiseman that is the tricky part to me right there when I'm looking at how do they get back to contention yeah that's what I thought one of the reasons I was big on drafting Wiseman and 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 still am you know pretty big on keeping him is that they need a center that can score you know and I've talked about this it did work with Draymond and Looney but having two-fifths of your offense unable to shoot and unwilling to shoot is tough or even take a dribble and scoop it into the in, a, in the rim like many other fours and fives can. And Wiseman can do that. He, he has so many other weaknesses. It just precluded that. I get it. But I do think there is a, some need for a four or five who is dynamic with the ball. They're very and tough to get. And can shoot, too. Yeah, and can yeah, spread willing, the floor. Is willing to shoot. It's just dynamic with the ball. It doesn't mean you can dunk, you know, fly in the sky and dunk, although that helps. It means you just can do things with the ball in your hands. And I just thought it was interesting, you know, again, another thing Myers volunteered. He and Draymond were talking about him with Kerr, and they were talking about Draymond wanting to shoot more and them both thinking he should shoot more. You know, just have the willingness to. And I think if you shoot more, that scoop shot is easier. I do. We've seen it. Draymond makes a bucket. The second and third ones come faster. When he doesn't, he never wants to shoot. Or when he has to shoot, it doesn't look very good. And that scoop, scoop, that scoop shot did not look good. And... You know, John Moran and the guy, man, man, that whole playoff game was scoop shots. You know, like these are important shots against good defenses lined up to beat you, and you're beating them off the dribble. You know, you're you're getting the, the you know the the double team off the pick and roll. You're attacking, and what's the shot? It's a scoop shot. And if Draymond could just get that, and we've seen him practice it, 
if Draymond could get to the rim, if he could have another option, somebody who teams fear when it opens it up even more, and obviously that could be Clay. Again, we don't know when that's going to be. All these things, I think, are interesting that they're basically telling us that's what they're thinking too. And it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean that Draymond's going to score 16 a game next next season. But I think that's the intent. And we shall see. And I, I know. I, I was going to ask. I, I, we have so many athletic people on that call, so I didn't ask a question. But I, and maybe I wouldn't have let in. I would have the Ethan syndrome here. But I, I would have asked, given the fact that they don't know when Clay is going to be back, they are open about it, which means that they're not expecting him back for the start of the season. Do they have to make a move at shooting guard? Like, do they need to have somebody other than Jordan Poole who they know can start NBA games? They don't have that right now. They do not have that. Didn't Steph say Clay in whatever condition he's in? Yeah, whatever, you know, whatever version. He said whatever version. And I mean, that's the correct take. He's going to not no be. No question. So <laughs> let's say they don't have two months of Clay or, or Clay being at 50, even 50%. Don't they need a starting shooting guard? Am I wrong here? I mean, I think they do. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Like, Poole needs to get like 25, 30 minutes again. But you also want him on a second unit. So, you know, it becomes I mean, he could be both. I mean, you could start and put him and also have him on the second unit. I mean, we can talk about that. One thing I wanted to say on Draymond, though, as you were making that point, this is my fifth, now the end of my fifth season covering this team. Every damn exit interview, it's Draymond Green is going to work on a shot this summer. Draymond Green is going to work on his (laughs) offense. I'm I'm done believing it. No, this is who he is as an offensive player. And it handcuffs them. And Ethan is also correct. Like he still provides unbelievable benefits, but he handcuffs you. And and I do. I think it would be ill-advised for them to go into the summer believing that Draymond Green is going to come back as a different offensive player. That's why they need a center who can score or another power forward who can score. They they need someone you can line up with him who does. Some of the things that Looney does, screen and, and play defense, play position defense, but also can score because I think it's just brutal to have two of those guys on the court at the same time. It is just brutal. But what's tough is it's not only the needing to score, it's that Draymond wants to occupy a very specific role and it's best suited to his abilities, but then that takes other people out of position to potentially score because Draymond's not going to be in the dunker spot. He's going to be running pick and roll. And... That means the center who they want to score is just kind of going to be sitting around the periphery of the play. I just think they're in a position right now, and I'm distilling <laughs> distilling what I should be writing, but we do that sometimes extemporaneously. It feels like they are not far away, but to get there, they're going to have to make a really hard decision. That's my on, take on the Warriors. On who, though? On, who? on either Wiseman or Draymond, and maybe mm-hmm. even both. They're going to have to make the right decision. I can't even tell you. 
Yeah, they're not trading Draymond. I can't even tell you what that right decision will be. I think it's very complicated and it's difficult. I don't see them just growing their way into contention. I think they're going to have to bite some kind of bullet to free themselves up to not get so constrained in a postseason scenario when teams are giving up that that four on three and playing it for the floater. Even if you've got some more space with Clay and all of that, it just seems like it's a weird thing. They're not far away, but they're probably going to have to make a hard decision to get there. They're not trading Draymond because do you want number 30 to sign a long-term contract with you or not? He wants number 23 with him too. And who's going to guard everybody if you don't have Draymond doing it? Also, what I would say about trading Draymond is you're not going to get that good of a package back because his contract is not considered that valuable on the market. And so trading Draymond for whatever you'd get puts you further away from the title, in my opinion. Unless Draymond for Pascal Draymond for Pascal Siakam, yes, but that's not happening. Yeah, 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 that's not happening. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's the it's the same thing with Wiseman, right? Where you don't just trade him to trade him, right? You have to look at what options are out there. You can see the flirtations coming down from the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I was say Portland, maybe from yeah, Portland. Yeah, but, but but what is that but, even? But what do you get? Like, what do you get? Construct a package that would make the Warriors better. I I don't see it. I mean, I'm thinking now. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. I mean, you know, maybe the CJ McCollum Dame thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure CJ McCollum for Draymond Green. Makes no, no, the they're not going to do that. But maybe you throw in Wiseman. I'm just spitballing off the top of my no, head. Listen, I Look. appreciate the thinking on it. I mean, I, I do think the Warriors have to address. Like, they got to go through some hard things themselves. But they're in the spot where I mean, Steph, take him to the side. He's worth every dollar. You could, you can't pay him enough. But right now they've got Draymond and Clay on contract and Wiggins for for that matter on contracts that nobody else would want. They're extremely valuable players, no question. But when Hollinger does his worst contracts in the league, they're three of the top ten, might be three of the top six. But that's okay because they are the Warriors are paying him. They're okay being a luxury tax. It doesn't mean they're subtracting anywhere else. It locks them up in certain things, but. They're getting the value out of those players. Draymond Green is worth $25 million to them. There is no question about it. And as I said, if they don't have him on the team, I think Steph may not sign long-term. And that is a situation they cannot do. They cannot even get into a situation where Steph won't resign with them or even will think about it. But I do agree. It's a little problematic. I am laughing that Slater has turned Draymond having, you know, a summer where he works on his offense into the David Lee will shoot three-pointers this season. Uh, <laughs> because that was the thing every year with, with, with David Lee. He's great. He does this. And if he could just shoot that outside shot, then he'd be even better. Yes, he's working on a three-point shot. He's going to have it this year. And then next season, he did not have that. Similar shot. issue with the, the flat shot. It's just, it's hard to give that thing enough arc. Draymond Green has been this offensive player now for like four straight seasons. No question. No question. I mean, again, you did see it and, you know, that was a while ago. And it's it's fair to say it's never coming back. But you have seen it in, a, in games here and there where he just decides to finish instead of stopping and passing. And it's more than just a mindset. I'm not saying it just he has to be determined to do it because there's clearly things stopping him from doing it. But if it's three shots a game instead of two. If it's then all of a sudden five shots a game instead of three, maybe you just accept a low percentage because it will be low and you just get him into a place where he wants to shoot it, you know, once every six times down the floor, whatever it is, I think they're in a better spot. And you know, maybe he doesn't get there or maybe it's, it's such a terrible percentage that they can't do it. But half the time, those are turnovers, right? Because he's 
throwing the ball into somewhere just to have someone else get it. And if you say, okay, Draymond shooting, what, 38% on those situations is better than Draymond shooting 43 and not shooting it and then turning it over five times a game. I think that's the equation I would make in my head on that. It's not a great, it's not a win-win situation, but it's a better-than-they-were situation, at least in my mind. Like, to me, he fluctuates. Like, there's games where, yeah, he'll have 14 and he's more aggressive. And usually it's games where you see, it seems like he has his legs again. Sometimes you know, he had some dunks late in the season. And it was like, yeah, you know, he's a little bit more aggressive. There were some games he had some big shots, big threes, even late. But, like, to me, over the course of the season, he's going to have pockets where he his shot is just nowhere to be seen. There's going to be pockets where he's not confident. Sometimes he'll be a little bit more aggressive. But to me, the totality of the season from him purely as like a scorer and offensive player is the same one we've seen for four straight seasons. And it's going to be the same one next year. He might come in in the first four games. He hits a couple threes and people can be like, yo, you know, Draymond Green shots back to me. It's just going to fluctuate in and out. That's just who he is as an offensive player. It's who he's proven to be. They just need to build knowing that. And that's like the conversation we're talking about is like how to build this summer. You do not build. I don't think with this idea that Draymond will be different than he's been. Would that be a regression to the green, by the way? Uh, but yeah. uh, sound like uh, that's Bill Orem over there. Oh, wow, wow, wow. please, that's no that I end, end it there. That's why I think Wiseman is interesting. I do think that's why Wiseman or someone like him. You know, he's not the ideal person to say, okay, mix with Draymond, get some points. But yeah, that's why I underline Wiseman because he can get those points that you get stuck with when Draymond has the ball and he's not going to shoot. And he's that option. And it's an easy option. And again, we saw games where it was an easy four buckets. They just throw the ball up to him. Bam, that's a bucket. They don't have that with a lot of other players where it's just easy buckets if they get him in the right spot. It's hard for some of these other guys to score. They can, but it's hard. It's hard for Damian Lee to, to, to you know play sustained minutes and, and scoring. It's We've seen it. it's very hard for Michael Mulder to do it. That's tough. It's very tough for Eric Pascal. There's like they need somebody who can get them easy buckets when everything's overloaded against Steph. And my best option for them at this moment is James Wiseman. And it's tough. It busted them up last season, but that's why I keep saying because of Draymond, you need another guy who can score. And their best their best person to do that is James Wiseman. So. I have a a lost file, which is the uh, Warriors <laughs> Jazz Duncan. series Nate preview Duncan. with Nate Duncan, and everyone who's followed Nate knows Nate's opinion on Wiseman compared to Lamelo Ball and Wiseman's rookie season. Nate on that podcast when we were talking Warriors Jazz said he thought that the Warriors would miss James Wiseman in the series. I know, Ethan. I almost need to send you the file to make you believe this. <laughs> and Nate was ripping Lamelo's defense in the playing game <laughs> up and down Twitter. It's just this is a, a twist and a turn. At the you end of the, you can judge based on different results. That's fair. It's fair. It's fair to judge on things that happen that are new. My jaw dropped. But Nate's point, which was a good one, um, was the four on threes that we're talking about. The way the Utah plays it, which is like stick on the shooters. Rudy Gobert sits in the lane. And that series, had it have happened, would have been so much about like Draymond Green going downhill at Rudy Gobert. 
that's not a good thing when, you know, maybe the pass off to who Gobert's guarding, which would have been Kavon Looney, and then Looney catches it as pump fake, pump fake. Gobert can obviously recover to that. And Wiseman would have been in the dunker spot, and you lob it over the top. And we saw it plenty this year. There was big games. Remember against the Spurs? I think he got seven dunks out of the dunker spot in the Spurs game. There are moments where he, yes, that unlocks a different level of their offense and a different level of Draymond, at, you know, as the, as the outlet over the top that they really need. But to Ethan's point earlier, we just saw James Wiseman's best skill right now offensively, best use for the Warriors is as a pick-and-roll guy where he's the guy operating with Curry. And when Draymond Green is your foreman who cannot space the floor around the pick-and-roll and can't really be that effective in the dunker spot, that is very hurtful to Wiseman's best skill. So, I mean, to me, honestly, like if he's on the roster next season, you're probably just not you're, – you're trying to separate his minutes and put him in the second unit a lot – with maybe pool sometimes with curry not draymond out there yeah i like that pool chemistry with with wiseman and pool was brought up quite a bit in these exit interviews and i think that hey these guys aren't stupid with the organization i think they're noticing what a lot of fans are noticing which is that i mean can we say it this guy's pretty good <laughs> Jordan pretty, yeah yeah no he's pretty yeah. he's pretty good he gives them something i mean i i don't know what the final tally was of him and steph together but it was something ridiculous and we would bring it up every now and again and that's a guy for so long they've been trying to get the center who would score but they got this other guy that they didn't have which is the dude who can come off the bench play with Steph or generate offense without Steph and had some big moments um, in the in the play-in games uh, and I don't think seemed scared of the moment at all. Uh, it would have been nicer if he had rattled in that three-pointer against the Lakers as opposed to it rattling out, but that happens. That's a huge swing factor. I know a lot of fans are probably very disappointed without a season ended. Would rather have made a playoff series than what happened, but something that takes the sting out of it I do think is the out-of-nowhere development of Jordan Poole. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f***ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Myers brought it up again. That's another another thing that kind of surprised Myers. Said, hey, I, I don't know if I expected this out of Jordan Poole this season. And that's one thing I've always kind of uh, respected about Myers' group, that even if they pick some of these guys, they're not, like, hog-wild over them no matter what. Like, they, I mean, they understand the monument of Edovich, Edovich was a terrible pick. <laughs> they just get it, right? They don't try to just fixate on this player because that's the guy they picked. And I, I don't think they loved what they saw out of Jordan Poole for most of last season. And they weren't sure what they were going to get out of him this season. G League, whatever, all the things that we saw. 
And then he showed it to them like he showed it to us, like he showed it to the league, that, that this is an NBA player. This guy is somebody you can plot around. You can say is your like, – that's what I, I was talking to Slater about this uh, after the final game. It's like Kelly Oubre is a six-man. Hell no. I don't care if Kelly Oubre comes back. Jordan Poole's a six-man. Kelly Oubre is an eighth-man if he comes back as the backup power forward. Then, and I don't know that Kelly Oubre loves hearing that. But that really was his best role. And Jordan Poole was way better than Kelly Oubre, even as in, in, a, in a bench role. And that's a huge step for them, no question. And, and it's good for them. You know, they, it's a late-round pick. We know they haven't hit on many of them. And it's a hit. It's an absolutely hit for them. And they can figure out some of their rotations based on Jordan Poole being some kind of offensive spark. And when they really need him to close games, like he did in some big games at the end of the season, they can do that too. And he can be representative on the defense. And he's not going to be great. But he's not going to be Jordan Clarkson, you know, who's a, you know, Lou Williams, who are just disasters on defense. Uh, they have to score 30 on their side in order to make it in positive players. These are good things for the Warriors. Is he still a little underrated? It seems like. Well, it was a late, you know, again, he, big impressions from a terrible rookie year. And, and then you have to work your way out of that G League player in the middle of the season, Ethan. So, you know, it takes some time. It does. Uh, per 36 minutes, 22 points a game. More efficient than the just standard issue numbers would lead you to believe is I think he was over 58% true shooting on the makes season. His free, so, makes his free throws. That's the, yeah. it's, it's a big deal. Makes his free but, throws. But, and many yeah. Kerr brought up that second unit, and I forgot that Clay was a second unit player when he was healthy because it's been so long ago. He said, pool, Clay, Wiggins in a second unit. You, know, you start going through that, you go, that's pretty good offense there in a second unit. It's way more than they've had in the past. You put Wiseman in there. Kerr did not, but I will put Wiseman in there. You put JTA as, you know, you can you can absolutely afford to have JTA in, in that group. Or you put a rookie, or you put another veteran in there. That's a second unit. May not work. We don't know how the mix would be, but that's a second unit. I mean, there's, there's some offensive firepower there that they did not have, certainly at the end of this season. So I was watching the first game of the playoffs this weekend, which was Saturday morning, uh, Heat Bucks, texting with somebody in the league. Somebody in the league who's like very honest about their player opinions and watches a bunch. And we were going back and forth a little bit on Tyler Hero against Jordan Poole. Same draft class, actually from the same area. Tyler Hero obviously had the explosion in the bubble at the end of his rookie season, including like a 36-pointer or something like that in, in the East Finals. But if, you know, he kind of regressed a bit this season. You know, we were going back and forth on like who at this point would you consider the best long-term prospect? Me and him consider Hero to be more of a pure shooter, maybe pure scorer. But Poole could pass it a bit better. Poole might have Poole's a little bit bigger and 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 probably has a better defensive upside. I don't know, but like at the end of the conversation, it was like a realization of like this is crazy that this is even a discussion, considering where everything was. And like I, I do think Poole has risen to that level of like this is a young guard prospect in this league to watch because I think we we learned in his first few weeks returning from the bubble, like, oh, no, this is legit. He should have been playing over Wanamaker. He has this job the rest of the season. And I think we learned in the last few weeks, like, this could be going somewhere completely different. This could be going to a different type of level with the way he played really, you know, in, in high stakes games. And I think that's what Ethan's talking about of, like, we may be underestimating where this pool thing could be going. Yeah, I feel like he doesn't have a lot of trade value. Not that they should want to trade him, but it feels like he feels like he should. Maybe we're just going to see a a change in that and how he's regarded next season, and he has to just do it for more. But 
I would love to know how people think he stacks up against the other players in the league right now. Well, I'll put it this way. Like, if the Warriors end up with a seventh pick from Minnesota and they get somebody who it plays just as good as Jordan Poole did this season, would that be a good pick? Absolutely. It absolutely would be like, like that. That's it's hard for me to imagine that. But that yes, if, they, if you said, man, they get David Mitchell and he's just as good as Jordan Poole, I would say that is a great pick for them. Like a guy that could lead a unit, get you 22 a game in a tough situation, take big shots and not be an embarrassment passing the ball or, or defending and all the other versatile things they want their players to do. That would be great, and he's on their team already. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's like they got back a first-round pick that they didn't get because he was terrible their first season. This is a big thing for them. This is how you project them into the future again. You don't know where Clay's going to be. You don't know what they're going to do with the draft picks. You don't know what they're going to do with Wiseman, all these other things. But and that's, I think, part of their positivity about that 15-5. and five. It, was, it wasn't just the explosion of Steph, although clearly that was the leading thing. And it wasn't just Draymond. It wasn't just Wiggins. They got this other player here who, who does enliven things in a way that no, and nobody else did. Somebody in the organization was like, we know now that Draymond and Steph will go into next season believing in Jordan Poole too. They know what he can do, and they know what he can do in the tightest moments. Like He brought them to overtime against the Grizzlies. He was good against the Lakers. He tried to punch one down on LeBron. Like, like Draymond and Steph saw that just like everybody else saw that. They're looking for him on the floor. like they're, And sometimes you can see them look at another player and go, no, I'm going the other way. It just happens. It's reality. And they're looking for him because he does stuff. Might miss, but that's okay. It's not going to stop him from putting up three other shots and two of them probably go in. And that's a big deal. Now they need other players like that. They need you know two other players like that. And Clay is likely to be one of them, though, Ian. We don't know the timeline on that. Wiseman is not one of those players. If Wiseman could turn into half a player like that, they'd have something. All right, should I take us out? Anything else from Kerr and, and Myers, Ethan? Anything else to strike I'm you? Just saying, like, I feel like we should just say that this was a crazy season. <laughs> this was, I mean, I guess it was for everybody, but uh, it's certainly weird, and it is nice in these playoffs. You're seeing more energy in the building, if you can oh, see yeah. energy. But you're oh, feeling yeah. more energy. These playoff games, they feel more resonant. Uh, there's more immediacy. It, it started Trey to feel Young like the NBA. yelling at the Madison Square Garden uh, fans was incredible. It's just like that felt like 1990s, you know? It was all, Reggie Miller. It was awesome. You know what you can sense in the crowds, too? There's such an appreciation to be in a crowd. again. You know, it's like, we're at a playoff game. Oh, my God. It's nice to see it, and uh, that is still on the horizon because I don't think we've – We've necessarily gotten that. Even if there were fans, not a whole lot of fans, restrictions are what they are, where the Warriors do play. But it's it's potentially exciting to have a season, uh, next season, where you're going to have a full building, you're going to have that energy, and so that's something to look forward to. I guess that's the final thought. And the only thing I, I want to say, I, I mean, it's obvious, but it is the end of season podcast. We're talking about this. Sometimes I, like shiver when I hear people only talk about Steph Curry with the Warriors when it's just Steph and it's Steph this, Steph that. We just witnessed one of the greatest individual seasons of all time, period. And I think we'll all say he was more efficient in 2016 or, you know, whatever in 2015. He was more kind of more athletic back then. You do see clips and he, he played a little differently back then. But to do what he did at age 33 with this kind of defensive focus, without clay, with a team that was under-talented, 
and to drag them out. And I wrote about that, you know, like Draymond saying it sometimes, you know, whatever with Draymond, but this is true. He dragged them out of this by himself. We are not going to suck this year. We are not. Like, you guys suck this game. We're not sucking anymore. And to do it, scoring 37 a game down the backstretch, to do it the way he did it against the teams that he did it, against the defenses aligned against him, it was one of the magic seasons we will ever see in sports. And we did. We saw it. I think we documented it. I think we talked about it. But but this is what we saw. I totally agree. For Steph to do what he did at age 33 and for Kevon Looney to do what he did at age 63. <laughs> One of the He's great tremendous. seasons in center history. <laughs> yeah. You know, for a guy who lined up against George Mikan and now to do this now with Steph Curry, it was an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Averaging two assists a game. Hey, I was right on the Kevon Looney renaissance. You were, the last you thing. were, you were, you were. And you what were. a renaissance it was. Another thing heading into the next season, he has a $5 million player option that looked, it looked bad for the Warriors for a while. Now it's like, you know, that's fine. You know, he, that, that's Fair. fine for his his production fair to say that they're fine with wiggins like i had that question oh, going huge. into the season yeah like they're just wiggins is on the huge. team he's going to do stuff they're fine there in fact they need him to guard people more i mean they asked if they didn't have wiggins whew, i mean I, I don't know who would guard people on this team i felt a little defensive on wiggins behalf when everybody on twitter was trashing him for throwing up some shot in crunch time that only hit the backboard it's just this guy plays a million minutes a game and never misses a game and uh, yeah he 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 took a he took a heave when everybody's fatigued at the end of one of these winner go home situations i don't think it should obscure the quality of his play this season which has been a boon to the warriors yeah no doubt i think zoomed out they're actually in an okay place as long as they're willing to keep paying crazy money now would I pick them to win the title next season? No, I probably won't pick them going in, but they're going to be in the conversation. They do need to make sharper moves around the margins. Some of their mistakes the last couple seasons have really come back to bite them. Really, I would say the last three, right? Because the Raptors series, you saw their lack of depth uh, in those finals. Then obviously last season, worst team in basketball. And then this season, the meat of that rotation and the late part of the roster, it hurt them. But in general, they sound very willing and hungry to go get veterans this summer. They're going to be in the conversation next season. Yeah, Clay, Clay Thompson. I mean, that's as long as me about Clay, and we don't know, and and Clay doesn't know. So uh, you know, they get a healthy Clay Thompson back in and make some right decisions. Where the season is going to look very interesting. Uh, if they don't, if Clay isn't back, if he's back slowly, they make a few errors. Wiseman doesn't improve might be right back in the same spot and with clay when with back it means literally back like they need to literally find him and get him on no the they had him court. around this season this season they had him around previous season they did not this season he's they had him around. yeah i do i do miss the days of carmen san diego clay but it will be nice to have him back at chase and that i mean so much hinges so much hinges on how good he is because they really missed him they missed him a lot. Well, look, he he will have made by the end of next season like ninety something million on this contract that he has currently played zero minutes on. So yeah, I mean, like that's that's almost everything is Clay Thompson, and we don't know. So we will talk to you. I don't know the next time we will, but you know, at some point in the relatively near future, they have after a huge the lottery. lottery night. After by the way, the lottery, I would say yeah. before the lottery, we need to okay. set up. That will be a big night we need ethan doing some uh, we need decent doing some film study on these draft picks to tell us what's what's, what's no i think uh, we just have to have me um absorbing lottery odds like zach galifianakis in the hangover just throwing <laughs> numbers and pulling numbers out of the air i think that's where it can serve us best especially you do that I anyway am, you do yeah that anyway. well you know it will 
We'll see. I, I, I would need a huge bounce back from not knowing that LaMelo Ball would be good. But we'll see. Maybe we go back into the fray. Oh, my. All right. Well, we will talk to you then. See ya. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.